Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 205th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that protects you from those looking to invert the truth. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, all of our loyal listeners. Uh, how are you this fine night? This fine evening? I have I have discovered yet again that uh, it is better to be lucky than smart. Uh, apparently, hmm. when I randomly selected flights for semi-randomly, looking for the cheapest price, naturally, flights for our surfing trip to Oahu um, next week, I booked us onto the island the same week as the World Championships of Magic: The Gathering. Which are running uh, February so the, 14th to the 16th. Oh, so the World Magic Championships are in Oahu, and you are going to be there for an unrelated reason. Yeah, we're going there to surf, oh. and apparently three blocks from my hotel uh, is the World Championships. So it doesn't seem like there's actually much of anything going on. Like, there's no Magic Fest, and the whole thing is being done on Arena, is my understanding. I think they're doing standard and draft. Although I did see a, a notice today that the draft is apparently going to be done in paper, and then they're going to port it over into Arena to play. Yeah, I saw a comment to that effect, which I don't... I, I'm, like, trying to figure out what the hell that means. Like... They're, they're literally going I, to do a physical draft. Then they're going, to yeah. deck, they're going to compile deck lists, import them into Arena, and then they're going to play the games on Arena. <laughs> Okay, so they do the draft in paper and then build the decks in Arena and play the games in Arena. Correct, because Arena can't support like multiplayer draft yet. <laughs> and yet they're choosing sure. to showcase the ga- the World Championships through the software that doesn't work the way it should to support the event. Sure. That's fine. <laughs> that would be like, you guys hey, this, this year at the World Counter-Strike Championships... You will first select your weapons at the start of the round and then proceed to the paintball field where you will actually play paintball. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. Whatever, whatever, you guys. I'm not even. uh, So anyway, various people I know from the magic community will presumably be in Oahu. Um, At least a few people. So uh, thinking maybe I'm going to try to drag some nerds out and take them surfing. Yeah, that would be fun. If I were, if I were there, I would go with you. Oh, do a little, little surfing in the classic Waikiki Bay, and then maybe head up to Waimea and watch people get pounded by twenty foot surf. It's gonna be a good week. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun. All right. Uh, well, our show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs. Chat on Discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, do you care about the Super Bowl? Uh, no, not at all. I was... 
in front of a television when it was occurring. I definitely paid more attention to the commercials than anything else, but I mostly used it as a vehicle to make glib jokes to a uh, coolly receptive audience. <laughs> uh, I don't much care about organized sports these days either, um, although I will go watch a Raptors game here and there. Um, but in theory, when I was a teenager, the Kansas City Chiefs were my favorite team. Couldn't tell you why, um, since I lived in Edmonton, Alberta at the time. But uh, yeah, so that's cool, I guess, that they won. Um, the coolest part for the Super Bowl from the MGG Finance perspective was, I think, that the uh, our friend Kyle, who has been organizing, that we interviewed a while, ways back, that was organizing the uh, raffles for uh, pulls from beta starter decks, has been continuing that process. And he did one a, a short time ago, and they got... I don't know how much you remember about what can happen when you open a, a fresh beta starter deck, but some of the time you just get two rares. If you're real lucky, you might get what's called a god pack, where all the uncommons are rares, because apparently at the tail end of the production process for beta, they ran out of uncommons but had spare rares in the hopper. Um, <laughs> so those are pretty tasty. And there's also a possibility that your rares will be alpha because apparently they had some extra of those lying around at some point. So the last one that, that Kyle opened was not neither of those things. It was just a regular one. And the first rare he flipped over at the end of his video um, was a basic island. And keep in mind that slots for this event uh, tend to run $300 or so. And so he sells a slot per card in the deck. Most of the time, you're losing money. Like, even if you get a basic island graded, you, you know, might break even or be minus 50, minus 100, depending on what card common you get assigned. And what you're hoping for, of course, is that you're going to open a pristine lotus and grade it, and it's going to go for 80 grand plus or whatever. Um, so it's more or less Twitch stream naked gambling. Um, I haven't jumped in on any of them yet, but I noticed LSV was in the crowd again. Uh However, the second rare they flipped over was a pack fresh beta volcanic island. Whew. So that's pretty nice. And the way that they decided to assign it is as he opens the cards, he's putting them into numbered sleeves. But then he also uses a secondary uh, determiner to decide where he starts the order of those sleeves. So it doesn't... If you were slot one, you don't just get sleeve one. He uses some other semi-random thing to de- well, random thing to decide how they align, how your slot aligns with a sleeve. And so I think he was using the like second touchdown of the Super Bowl or something. So for people okay. watching that were involved in this, there was a little extra on the line this weekend because based on whatever the little trigger he was looking for was, would have determined who got the volcanic. God, people, magic players are such degenerates. <laughs> I'm sure the same guy who did that had, you know, hundreds, if not thousands in Super Bowl squares, too. Go, go figure that a game that has spent 30 years basically built around scratch ticket gambling. I mean, booster packs are essentially scratch tickets with better EV um, would also have uh, a tendency to be gamblers. Mm, no kidding. Uh, that that sounds like fun. That player had a lot more fun than I did. 
uh, no doubt about it. I mostly was impressed with how horny the uh, halftime show was, <laughs> which which was pretty funny. Um, that was my takeaway. Uh, so okay, so so I did I did want to mention about- one other thing about Beta Starter Decks being opened because there's a YouTube channel that caught my eye. Uh, it is Power Nine Quest. It's P O W E R, the number nine, and the word quest. And this is a dude whose full story I don't completely understand yet, but we're going to have to track him down and try to get him on the show. Because apparently, the way he presents it is that he really loved magic cards as a kid, but he couldn't afford to buy them, but now he's got money, so now he's doing silly things. So <clears throat> he got his hands on a beta starter deck that did end up turning into a god pack. Uh, a few months ago and he opened one of probably if not the most insane has to be like top three or top five starter deck openings of all time uh pretty sure he pulled back to back time walk underground sea mox emerald plateau i want to say (laughs) <laughs> and, and keep in mind people people spend 30,000 to scratch these lottery tickets but in that particular case he came out well ahead on the assumption that these are going to grade at least nine right damn that is <laughs> that's so god was it six cards you just said i i mentioned so, uh, what i mentioned four that i think were like the four best ones in the opening and there was plenty of good uncommons and stuff too, right? Like I think he got it. He pulled the demonic tutor that would have like graded very well. Um, the whole thing was just ridiculous. But we posted it in our Discord, and people were like freaking out. And the YouTube comments were similar because he was opening it on a wooden table with like heavy grain, no, oh. no, like no sleeves, no gloves, no nothing, just. Hey, I want to relive this experience of opening these cards, and I'm not going to go out of my way to protect them in any way, shape, or form. That guy owns. Yeah, it that was pretty owns. cool. That's that's good. So yeah, he he pulled <laughs> Underground Sea, Mox Emerald back to back in a beta starter, <laughs> and got like Viduran Enchantress and a whole bunch of other stuff. It was just completely ridiculous so we'll, we'll have to track track the gentleman down and see if he'll come on the show and talk to us yeah that yeah that would be fun to have that conversation uh i love that he did it on that table like that i can't think of a better way it's a good flex to do that yeah it really is just like toss him you know, hand it to your girlfriend or wife who's, you know, making cookies or do you know, whatever in the background, just kind of get gunk on her hands, just wiping it <laughs> off on her shirt. Just, you know, there's, there's something to be said for now that I'm putting this out there, it's going to ruin it a little bit, but essentially building your own beta starter deck with, uh, I'm going to say proxies and then putting out a video of you cracking a cracking quote unquote and just like folding it in half or something oh my lotus 
Yeah, right. Like, like you're doing that. You like you pull out the lotus and you get like really excited, and then like someone spills water on it, and you know, just uh, just post it or do the and do that live type of thing. You know, do it on Twitch or whatever. Uh, just to you know, you know who yeah, should you probably go you know, viral. You know who should do that is that Uber troll on Twitter that's been nailing Carrie. Yeah, Carrie has been nailing everybody. Um, Carrie, Carrie is great. I appreciate everything Carrie brings to the magic community. <laughs> All right, so what do we got going today? Uh, what do we have going on this week? This week is a show in four segments. Segment one is our top movers. We'll talk about the cards that have moved the most in price. Segment two are cards to watch. We will run through some cards that we think have a positive outlook. Segment three, uh, metagame we can review. We'll talk about, uh, let's talk about two Pro Tours. What do you think? Does that sound good? Um, Pro Tour, Brussels and Nagoya, the first large-scale Pioneer events. And finally, segment four, topic of the week, we will touch on the some mystery booster updates, not Theros collector, not Theros collectors or anything, but the mystery boosters that are releasing in March, and uh, maybe a little bit of unsanctioned as well, just like we are. So, segment one, our top movers, first card of the week, Mutaval uh, M14. You've got this on here at twenty to twenty-four dollars, which is a twenty percent pickup, which. You know, even though I, I did pick this last week, but that feels like cheating to put a 20% gain on here. A 20% gain is worth noting if it... See, here's the thing. The way that we gather stats on a weekly basis, we're going to miss throughout the year a whole bunch of cards that show... Like, we usually aim for 50% plus gains to make it worth talking about. But the reality is that if you could do 25% a year... On a few thousand dollar portfolio, you'd be doing just fine. Like if that's your little side hobby alongside your other magic endeavors, you're doing totally cool. Um, and it's worth noting that a that a major card like Mutavault moves when we say it's going to move, because if it keeps moving, it's going to get to that that end goal. Um, so I, I'm flagging it because not because I think you moved the needle on it yourself, but that you accurately demonstrate like picked the moment to point out that the market was going to move this card. The mono black decks have consistently put up results in the face of all sorts of ridiculous busted cards, and they look like they're going to be in Pioneer for the foreseeable future, and Mutavolt probably has a little gas left, because we don't see, haven't seen any evidence that it's catching a reprint anytime soon. One possibility is that it could show up as a foil in the Mystery Boosters, but it got a GP foil not so long ago, so hard to say how much of a priority it is over at Wizards. Yeah, um, it looks like right now you're paying five bucks for them, uh, or I'm sorry, twenty twenty four twenty five dollars for them, um, and supply is still relatively shallow. Uh, twenty four vendors total for the M fourteen copies, and that counts foils in all languages. Uh, looks like there's one guy who's selling. He's got fifteen at twenty two, but there's good shipping on it. So uh, yeah, nice little. It is it is definitely moving. Um, I didn't expect it to skyrocket to $45 overnight uh, but to be a nice steady drain over the next couple of months weeks um, as people move into the format so I mean don't uh, worry we're, I, not, we're not going to give you the full we're not going to give you the full win in your column unless you hit your target so you still got a ways to go fair fair enough fair enough I have to go buy a lot of copies then um, okay following that is uh, Cathal Lathwain out of uh, Throne of Drain. Five to six fifty, so uh, another smaller gain, about thirty percent. Mono Black had a totally fine weekend, 
at uh, the Pro Tour this weekend. It looks like Mono Black Vampires came in at 55% roughly of win percentage. Mono Black Aggro uh, hit almost exactly 50%, 49.59. So Mono Black had a pretty reasonable showing this weekend as well. Um, and given how well it seems to chew up local events and you know mtgo queues i don't think it's going to go anywhere and if memory serves me you picked castle lechthwain not that long ago here we go yeah james long-term pick four to eight uh two episodes ago so you're almost there and back in october was one of the first eas we flagged at ten dollars um and Mm -hmm. the eas are showing sparks of life there's been a lot of discussion in our discord about whether extended arts are worthwhile, like whether that's going to be a thing that's worth pursuing. And the easiest framing of the answer to that question is that the best thing going on in MTG finance in say the last six months, the most consistent highest ROI is bricks of undervalued stuff from limited source sets. So <clears throat> talking about your box sets, like your mythic editions, your secret layers, um, and then bricks of undervalued rares from, say, Core 20. Um, Castle Lockthwain's regular edition picked those up in a big brick at a dollar a piece. Buy list is at 485 or something. So there's already a quad locked in on those. They can be scooped up anytime anybody wants them. I'm holding so far. I sent in almost $6,000 worth of buy list this week, but I held the castles back because I have this sneaking suspicion that I'm going to get another dollar out of them within a month. I think that's totally fair. Uh, I mean, given how well it's doing in Pioneer, and again, I think there's a lot of players that are going to be buying into Pioneer over the next couple months puts this in pretty good position and it's also like relevant and standard right um so yeah i think you've and and we've pretty much left all drain drafting like that's not gonna be happening now that theros is on is on tables so the thing is that like extended art castle lockthwain you could have picked them up in the eight to ten dollar range at their very lowest point during peak supply and they were steady at 10 for a couple months and that now they seem to be edging towards 15 which is a good sign if you're interested in EAs either to play with or for speculation. But it's certainly worth noting that dirt cheap regular copies carry the better ROI. You know, spot a Jace Wielder of Mysteries or a Castle Lockthwain early when you can get them for a dollar or two dollars and watch them go to four or five on a buy list. That's your best MTG finance for 2020. Yeah. Well, I that's definitely true and definitely hard to do you know that that pure speculation of here's a card that there's a ton of copies of that's very cheap that i think is going to be one of the three rares that you know goes from 50 cents to three bucks uh that's that's no mean feat um absolutely but my, my, it, but i my agree it point- is very profitable when you nail it well, but my core point is that the extended art, in, in the current paradigm, the way that sets are currently being released, every rare gets an extended art. That's, mm-hmm. as, long as, they don't, as long as you don't have rare showcases. Um, but all the non-showcase rares get an extended art. So 
when the question becomes, should I go for the fancy version or the regular version for speculation purposes? Coming out of a paradigm where I often pick foils that are in low supply at a time when the non-foils are plentiful, looking for solid ROI in the 50 to 100% range, that's all well and good. But if, you're pick, if, you're, if you want to pick and choose only the top 20% of potential specs, what you're really looking for is those dollar rares that are going to go to five. And if you've got to choose between the $10 EA version of, say, something like a Thassa's Oracle or snapping off Thassa's Oracles early on Star City Games when they first post you know, the first 100 copies or whatever at two bucks, you're better off chasing the two bucks for the most part. Now, there are complicating factors, like if you want to play with copies or you're looking to you know, bling out a deck and then later maybe you sell them back into the market, or the, you're facing a situation where the inventory is really, really deep and the, the uh, expected play pattern for the card doesn't necessarily suggest that regular copies are going to get there, which can be the case with you know something like uh, like an EDH-specific staple, it's fairly common that the foils would take off long before the non-foils. Um, so even if whatever medium to medium-high demand EDH rare we're talking about, if it's going to get, say, eventually go a dollar to five dollars, but it's going to take five years, but the foils are only going to take eighteen months. And you don't happen to have, you know, a brick target on hand, then, you know, as part of your diversification strategy, you may well choose to go after that EDH foil before the non-foil. Just depends. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. Ultimately, I don't hate. I, I've never let me rephrase that. I think being able to go after those bricks of cards is can certainly be very profitable. Um, I would be curious. It's probably too late now for Theros, but I'd be curious to see a project for Ikoria where you look at uh, the prices that you can get these bricks for and identify, like, let's say the top, tw- look, look at the top, let's say 20 or 30 rares in the set, right? Like cards that you could conceivably buy a brick of, like you're not going to buy a brick of like the garbage rare. Um, and you can spot a lot of those. But pick the top 30 cards that you could do it with, look at what you would pay for those, and then like track the buy lists on those cards for whatever, six months, and see like, well, if I had bought 100 or 200 copies of every single one of them, where would I have ended up? Um, because maybe the buy lists on uh, enough of them climb high enough that like you are pretty safe to chase a bunch of targets every time. Because the ones that don't get there, you barely lose on, and the ones that do get there, you succeed with. Sure, I'd be curious to see how that works out. I mean, the, the other but thing it would be it would be a real data tra- that'd be a real data trap project. The other thing is that there's still a bunch of cross border arbitrage opportunities to be had. Like for instance, I was I I pinned down a hundred copies of Nick's Bloom Agent in Europe last week at seven bucks, and Ooh, that's and, nice. And the card is still low to mid teens even in heading into peak supply in, in North America. I got 11. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I feel confident that Next Bloom Agent is going to get above, is going to do well from $7 that it'll buy a list at minimum at $10 or $11 within the year and provide a very solid out and could do better. Because it's a, like, I see Next Bloom Agent as being 
if not top five EDH cards in the set, certainly top ten. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to have massive casual chops because it's just that kind of card. Simple to, to... You look at it as a casual player, you can interpret what it does immediately, and then you get to have all sorts of fun exploring all the different ways you can try to abuse it. And Yeah, you just you just get it. Yeah. It's easy, it's easy to it's, it's easy to grok. So um, and the power is obvious. Third, I think right now. Third most popular card. Uh depending on whether based you're based on raw depending on whether raw you're going raw decks. raw decks reported or percentage inclusion or whatever, but yeah. And I think I think I guess, you know, this is a, a chance to mention, but I I would generally venture that raw number is a more valuable statistic to us than percentage, simply because a five color card that's very high, you know, that's an 85% of five color decks, like great. It's still only in 3000 decks. Uh, whereas this green card that's in 6% of green decks is in four times as many total. Like it's going to sell four times as many copies, which ultimately is what I care about. Sure. So I want to see as many copies of that card sold as I can, not how popular it is within a subset. Yeah. I follow. Um, Okay. And what do you got? And the thing is that even though I was telling people, you know, I'm saying EAs are not fully optimal, just because like a ten dollar, a great ten dollar rare EA might get to twenty in a year, and we haven't even proven that yet. We need Castle Lockthwain to lead the charge and, and prove that six months out they can do that. If you know that they can reliably reliably double within six months, then cherry picking the you know right now you can get Thassa's Oracles for ten dollars. If De- if inverter is great but not bannable, then those oracles that I talked about last week are going to be awesome. If inverter gets banned out of the format, then you're going to get set back a ways. Um, non foil EA oracles are ten bucks. Yep. God, that is so tempting. It's tempting. It was that was your pick last week, right? At like yeah. eleven. Yeah, ten or eleven. So I mean, that's oh, you mm-hmm. know what it was? I went looking for them where I have store credit, and they were all out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I snapped off a whole, even though I'm claiming that EAs are not where it's at, I still snapped off a whole bunch of them over in Japan because somebody pointed me at a, like, top secret stash of underpriced uh, Japanese EAs. And I was like, yeah, I just can't resist. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. get it, picking up, like, Japanese underworld breaches at, like, the equivalent of $11 U.S., minimum some legacy player will buy those off me some point you know out of uh, that niche yeah. portion of the hobby i i mean i grabbed uh 11 japanese nix bloom agents um which i generally you know generally you don't the the prevailing wisdom is you don't want to buy foreign casual cards but the price was so good i was like yeah i'll take i'll take those i can sell those those will move I, I, so again the grok ability comes in a is a major factor there like the yeah. art is going to be iconic enough at EDH tables that people will just know what the card is. Yeah. And Oracle is kind of going to be the same yeah. boat. The people playing that are playing competitive. Like they know what that card does. They don't need. And there's, there's actually a bunch of it. nice ones in Theros like that. Like the temples. Um, I chased down some Japanese foil temple of enlightenment because blue white temple sees play all the way back to modern um, mm-hmm. in control decks. And all the way back to modern. <laughs> well, through you know, it's currently viable and standard pioneer and modern. I, I, I'm not saying your comment was wrong. It's just uh, a new world we live in. Yeah. 
Nick's Lotus, probably also going to be easily identifiable uh, at tables. Dryad of the Elysian Grove, Ox of Agonas. Um, there's, there's, there's a bunch of EA extended arts I've got my eye on, and I'm <clears throat> certainly, you know, I, I view the extended arts from Eldraine forward as a grand experiment at this point, in much the same way that <clears throat> I think it was January <clears throat> of 2016, you and I were experimenting with masterpieces in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And we were snapping up those $70 masterpiece soul rings and wondering whether we were going to get there. Uh, I don't think this is going to be quite as explosive a result, but I think it's going to be pretty solid in the end. To be fair, I don't think there was any wondering going on. I think you and I were locked. We <laughs> really had no doubt whatsoever. Uh, and that's not to pat ourselves on the back as having been so confident about being right. Just We were really confident and it didn't matter. <laughs> I, I did have... Like the, I, there's an alternate <clears throat> universe where we were that confident and we got burned hard. Specific to that that card, the judge foil that pre-existed got pulled up by the masterpiece later like 18 months later after the fact so there was some doubt not as to whether it would be successful i figured we could go 70 to 125 pretty easily but i didn't know we could go 70 to 250 plus um which is why i sold most of mine in the 150 to 200 range and and felt like i was making out like a bandit Mm -hmm. all right so moving right Mm -hmm. along after that meandering trip through magic strategy um, mm-hmm. Iron Scale Hydra. Put this on the list, even though it was only up thirty-seven point five percent, four to five fifty, because this is a Theros Beyond Death theme booster card, which also shows up in quantity in your uh, collector boosters for Theros. And it's the kind of card where, because that slot mostly feels dead, you might just end up tossing it aside with the random mind rack harpies or whatever. Uh, but don't, because these are five dollar pickups in your collector boosters and the red uh dragon i think it's terror of mount velis or something like that is also along these same lines um and is going to give you you know 5 10 15 20 in additional value out of your collector boosters so don't let them slide in your bulk box uh okay i definitely didn't know that about this card so that is good to know uh i'll keep an eye out um finally finding following that is foil bring to lights uh five color niv mizzet and pioneer uh doing a good job honestly not a good result this week weekend um had a pretty bad showing uh let me find the link here if, if 40, light was like under, yeah 44 percent 44 percent yeah so not too hot here um but 8 to 11 for the foils, and we know it's because of that deck. And I'm I'm pretty sure that I called Foil Bring the Lights at some point. Yep, and I think um, we've called them twice. Once, like, way back, and once more recently. The yeah. And the thing about the Niv deck is it's, I definitely wouldn't count it out yet. Uh, a, we don't know if Inverter's going to be too good. If it's too good, they'll just ax it out of the format. They've been not shy about that. So, and I would guess that Inverter itself would probably be the band there. Um, maybe Dig Through Time, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, uh, episode 202, I called Foil Bring the Lights from 6 to 15, so two weeks ago. On its way. 
They're drying up. Yeah. I haven't put. I I'm not selling at current prices, and I turned down two different offers at Maybe eighteen so. a piece for my foil nib mizzets today that I bought at twelve. Um, yeah. That would be a reasonable return, given that I picked them up in September. But I think we're going to get more. If you look at the ramp for the foil nib mizzets, it's heading for thirty. So I'm going to hold off for twenty six to twenty eight cash. Okay. Uh, a little greedy, but I don't hate it. The thing about Niv-Mizzet, the Niv-Mizzet deck is that it has access to all of the gold cards. So as they give us more of those, the deck just gets more tools. Um, and could go, could end, seems more adaptable thereby than other decks um, in terms of how it can respond. Because it plays a bunch of control-ish elements, but it gets to pick from a bunch of different cards in terms of what it needs to address a certain metagame. Um, probably suggests that the play playing the deck is technical in nature and requires uh, mastery. Also likely uh, suggests that you could easily misbuild your version of the deck that you take to a tournament. Um, but also suggests that it w- may have more staying power than some other decks might in the same boat. I don't doubt either of those whatsoever. That both that it is very hard to play correctly and very easy to misbuild. So next on the list is another card from that deck, Sylvan Caryatid, which uh, I called the buy box promos a bit ago to go like 10 to 20. Here we've got the pack foils going 10 to 14 for 40% gain. These are going to hit 20 alongside the buy boxes because the deck always runs four in Pioneer, and Sylvan Caryatid is already a pretty solid casual card that can be put into EDH decks as well. Having Hexproof is nice when you're trying to ramp, and uh, making every color is also nice. So... Uh, as long as it fades a foil in the mystery boosters, which is still an unknown quantity by and large, uh, a lot of foils are going to be in that same boat. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, actually, sorry, I should also point out, I got this wrong. This, this Sylvan Carry Added movement is the non-foils 10 to 14, not the pack foils. Uh, okay. The not, Yeah, okay. That makes sense. So this was the one that we were just talking about, yeah, uh, two weeks ago where I opened up the sheet and you had it. And I was like, oh, man, I wanted to pick that this week. Yeah, I mean, by no means an original idea. Lots of people are tracking the cards in this deck and are aware that they are in position to move. Um, Next on the list here, we've got Thassa's Oracle, uh, aforementioned, out of Theros Beyond Death going 350 to 5. Not a huge surprise given that Demir Inverter went from a meme deck to being absolutely everywhere this last weekend. We'll get into this in segment three, but we did have two of the new style pro tour stops this weekend, this past weekend. One was in Europe in Brussels. The other was in Nagoya in Japan. Um, these are regional pro tours now, uh, where the basically the players from each region gather to play a smaller than usual pro tour. And we've got the follow-up Pioneer Pro Tour coming this weekend in Austin, Texas, I believe. So we having a pro tour on two weekends in a row in three different locations with the same format, boy, that's going to move some cardboard. And it has been. I have sold a lot of cards in the last week. That's going to be real weird. Having the, the other pro tour a week later is going to have a, such an odd impact on that metagame because if they're all the same weekend everyone's basically going in with the same data but now you have two full pro tours worth of information to build your deck with 
Hmm. That that is a unique situation. You're right, and it probably is leading to some furious testing this week, right? Like mm-hmm. two weeks ago, teams were probably were not even remotely accounting for Demir Inverter. Now it's easily top three decks, so so they have to be playing catch up. Some of these teams, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, if you knew where you were going to play the U.S. Pro Tour, it almost seems like it would have been wise to lightly play test ahead of this big weekend, wait for the results to come out, and then start there. Like, I'm not going to grind two weeks worth of Pro Tour testing only to find out everything we were doing just got tossed out the window because, whoops, we didn't see this breakout deck of the Pro Tour coming that invalidates everything we've just done. Also super tough for the very small number of players in the U.S. that are going to both the regional pro tour and then going to Worlds. Because they have to do all that testing for a pro tour, and then four days later they have to be in a completely different location for to play a completely different format because they're doing standard and draft over there. That's a stressful week. That's what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to test the standard and draft up until this past weekend. Then after the Pro Tour, Pioneer Pro Tour weekend, you switch to Pioneer for the week until this Pro Tour, and then you go back to Standard and Draft. Yeah, okay. I got it figured out. If I was a pro playing all of these events, I would have the testing schedule figured out. Uh, foil Cartouches of Solidarity out of Amoncat. Two and change up to four for almost a double up. Uh Black white auras out of Japan uh, from those Kanyuki Hero, right? I think. Who is that? His name? I just want to double check that. Ken uh, Nagoya. Oh shoot! Wait. Uh, yeah, Kanyuki Hero with Sram auras being exactly who Kanyuki Hero is. This cool deck, basically out of nowhere. It is the pioneer version of Boggles. Um, use a SRAM Edificer to draw a bunch of cards with the various enchantments and auras floating around. Cartouche of Solidarity is the common that creates uh, a 1-1 warrior token when you put it on your creature, which gives it 1-1 in first strike. This whole deck is built around the double ethereal armor. So you have the four ethereal armor from Return to Ravnica, pairing with all that glitters uh, from the recent Throne of Eldrain that really gives the deck its backbone. Uh, a cool strategy, if perhaps a little, a little flimsy, and definitely not as uh, resilient as the modern version, because you don't get to play with mono hexproof creatures. But cartouche uh, the foils jumped a little bit here. I would be happy to take four dollars if I could get them. I'd be happy to take basically anything if I could get them, uh, even if the deck continues to put up results in Pioneer. It's not going to be a majorly successful strategy it will sit on the fringes simply because it would not be able to withstand sustained hate um so i'd be happy to take my profits here and uh, move into something a little more stable so you know what i took a look at the other day that has already shown movement since i was looking at it when this deck was first making the rounds on the sunday uh you could get foil extended art ephemia the cacophony for about three or four dollars that's a foil extended art rare from the collector boosters now they're up they've drained up to 550 or six that 
if this deck make, gets any traction, we were talking earlier about how extended are rares at peak supply, eight to ten dollars makes sense, but foils at six, foil extended art rare, at six dollars. If this if this deck catches on, that's gonna double or triple. Uh, I mean, like the deck, I don't, I just don't think the deck can be that good in the format. But at the same time, foil extended arts at six bucks, like that's rare enough that that price is already so low for a card people probably thought was irrelevant. That yeah, I can give you a double up on rarity alone, essentially. I didn't pull the trigger ultimately when I was looking at it because it's a one trick pony card. Um, it does. Yes. It does have some pedigree for standard. There are there are decks being run that are running Ephemia. Um, not clear that they're interested in foil extended arts, but could be that the card's being underestimated. So, I I think I will probably pick up like one playset just to dabble in these waters and see how it goes. Yeah, I could see that. I mean. Like, there will be some number of people that want to own these. And, you know, I'm not getting really any more, so. I wonder if I wonder if buy lists are backing these at all. What do they... Wait. <laughs> okay. I take it all back. Card Kingdom is offering 650 cash, 845 credit for the extended art foils. So they are a slam dunk arbitrage buy if you can get them under, say, six bucks. And that should give you enough confidence to pursue. At least a hmm. set. Oh, Card Kingdom. Oh, wonder that is their massive buy list. I'm, I'm targeting a $10,000 five-figure, a $5 um, consequently, uh, buy list credit total before the end of the month, which I will be unfortunately uh, will have to be re- pushed into some form of retreat, probably power nine of some kind because there's no way I'm going to be able to buy specs on their site fast enough. <laughs> but that's a yeah. good problem to have, so I'm not bitching. Yeah, it could be could certainly be worse. Uh, it's bas- it's basically cashing out with extra steps because you have to trade into the power and then sell the power. And yeah, yeah. For a, selling a mox is not something you do in five minutes. Like it might happen in five minutes, depending on how aggressive your pricing is and how nice the card is, but could take you months. Yes. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Well, you can get. Let's see. You can get Japanese foil. Ephemias for about five dollars. Extended art Works for Japanese me. foil extended arts. Um, so I mean, anyone wants them? Uh, well, I mean, okay. Card Kingdom seems to want them, which suggests somebody wants them because they're. It's ah, but they're Japanese. True, but if yeah. if the English price holds, the Japanese are. I mean, I wouldn't want to have a hundred of the Japanese, but I'd take a place now because you're going to find like it might take you a. And again, this is all predicated on whether the SRAM deck shows up in force. Like, if there are zero copies in the top 16 this weekend in Austin, then the deck is just going to get forgotten. If somebody brings it and does well with it, then that's a different story. I 
didn't have a chance to watch games at the Japanese GP, which is part of my lack of confidence. But I had heard tell that he was putting on a clinic. Like, the deck was kicking serious ass. Uh, well, Ken Yukihiro is Ken Yukihiro. But also, that's because I'm sure nobody was prepared to deal with this. And that's the thing is, it's a really good event deck because no one has the tools available to them to handle it. But as a known quantity, people are just going to have some extra removal and that type of thing, and it's going to make this significantly uh, more difficult to succeed with. If if you, if people want to beat it, they can. Now, that doesn't mean it won't still have a decent weekend because people could write it off, and you know maybe there's a way for it to work. And perhaps the deck is more versatile than I'm giving it credit for, but it does strike me as a an event deck rather than a format deck. Well, let's uh, let, let's after, see what happens this weekend. Sure. Uh, after Cartouche is Poison Tip Archer, uh, foils out of Core 2019, 250 to five, a double up uh, from EDH, and your pick from I don't know a week or two ago. Uh, so good job there. So four episodes Three weeks back. Ago. Four. Good job. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you have your exit from Bylas on these yet, but. Uh, the original call was for these to go to like five, but that's assuming a buy list play. Buy lists are not at five yet, so we got a, way, a little ways to go still. Um, next on the list, we got Omen of the Sea, um, Theros Beyond Death. This th- I flagged this in our Discord the other day because in doing some research, it occurred to me that this might be a stealth foil uh, chase uncommon. One of the thing, one of the consequences of the way that standard sets are being produced now with the extended arts and the showcases and so forth is that the uncommons at least in theros didn't get didn't have any showcases and even in eldraine the not that the uncommons that did not get showcases only have the two normal versions regular and pack foil now the foils are 50 percent more common than they used to be in theory but I suspect that they some of them are drained out of regular booster packs to put into the collector booster packs. So um, while they are they are more populous overall, they only have the one version. And Omen of the Sea performed well for me in limited. I did not see it being a constructed card, but it's showing up in standard, pioneer, and modern. I did see someone, and the name escapes me at this point, who was talking about, like, oh, yeah, shout out to my friend who recommended I switch from, like, Opt or something to Omen of the Sea, because even though it costs one more mana, like, it does more for me, and on the sacrifice, it's useful, and an enchantment that's useful, and a devotion that's useful, and, like... You know, all these pieces together, it's effectively better in than the cantrip is, the one mana cantrip. Uh, so I'm not terribly shocked to see it pop up here. More importantly, it's a two of in the many of the Demir inverter builds, including the one that went nine and one in Brussels. So we've already uh, seen cards like Noxious Grasp and Mystical Speculation uh, as foil uncommons do work and and uh get into position to make people money omen of the seas go- went from a dollar fifty to three dollars for 100 percent gain now that's going to be exactly the kind of thing that's hard to get out of onesie twosie 
But it's possible that buy lists will catch up on these in a little bit if they stay popular, and you may end up being able to get your double up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is uh, the – let me see. Let me get, make sure I get the – the highest win percentage deck out of the event was Salty Delirium. Uh, Delirium, of course, cares about cards and graveyards. And Omen of the Sea is an enchantment which makes that uh, one of the harder card types to chase. Um, so I wonder if we could see this, you know, getting some real real work in Pioneer trying to trigger Delirium and the like. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, all right, so what's next on the list? Um, absorb out of uh, Ravnica Allegiance, uh, non-foils, two in chain, 250 to 5, so a double up here. Um, seeing some good standard play and Pioneer. Buy list at $4 cash, which is quite solid here, um, and 520 credit. So you kind of got over more than double if you're going into the store credit, which is great. Um, that's definitely a nice pickup for a card of this nature uh, especially one that's on the older side of being in standard at this point it's not that often that you see a standard counter spell get over five dollars yeah um uh god i don't even know if i think of the last time might might have been return the ravnica with um that is it one mm, counterflux i can't recall I if to... counterflux got that high the but certainly if you were drafting Ravnica this time last year, um, you probably have a few of these sitting around that you should be buy listing in because they you can basically get the going retail rate in credit from Card Kingdom and probably a little less at all the other buy lists um, and just cash in your absorbs for $5 bills. Yeah, I would take that in a heartbeat. So do that. Uh, Perilous Vault out of M15 showing some movement doubling from $3 to $6.00. It's not that huge of an EDH card, but it does see minor play in Pioneer in green ramp decks as a sideboard card. Hasn't seen a printing in a while, uh, five, four or five years now. And buy lists are supporting it at $4. So um, one of these cards that, because it exiles everything, probably has some casual uh, chops and might be underreported on EDH rec in terms of the commander demand for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like it as a a casual card, and there's you know there's value in it uh, at that level. Um, I don't know if you're gonna have at this point. It's it's just it's just taking so long to go anywhere that it's like eh, I don't know. Like I, I I would probably just take this three the whatever the six bucks and be done with it. It's taking so long to move. Um, you know, you'd be sitting on this. It feels like could be sitting on it for another year if you were hoping for ten. Yeah, that sounds. Is is that slow, steady growth kind of a card? Um, and I don't see the the inventory bottoming out quite yet. Uh, next on the no. list, we've got Inverter of Truth, uh, the namesake card of the deck that came out of nowhere and did a lot of work. It was more dominant in Japan than it was in Brussels, but uh, still looking like a force to be reckoned with he- heading into. The next Pro Tour stop this weekend went from $5 to 11 for 120% gains. P 
people people were first selling these in our Discord to were reporting trying to sell these in our Discord at four dollars and and wondering whether they should wait for more. And I told them get out, get out, get out. This was maybe six days ago, and this is, we're recording on Tuesday. Once I saw it on camera for a few rands at the Pro Tour, I was more than happy for them to just wait for their ten dollar. I said. It became, it became clear to me that the deck was going to be around at least for a little bit. It then became unclear to me whether or not it was bannable, uh, which I think we're going to see it tested again this coming weekend. And what you're looking for is, I think in the in the results for Japan, it was we had Bant Spirits in first and Sram Auras in second, but every other deck in the top eight except for the eighth place, which was Mono Black Vampires, was Demir Inverter. So five out of eight. Um, if you see five out of eight again at Austin, and then whatever the next major pioneer event is, then you might have a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would agree with that assessment. That well, <laughs> so I went on the I went on the cast last week and said, hey, this deck might be fine it might be good it seems like kind of a weird combo i mean it's a two card combo but i don't know if it's exactly gonna work how you want it to do blah 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 uh i i'm not wild about the fact that i am on record of having said i didn't think the deck was that good uh apparently apparently you didn't hear our comrade jason elt's team over on brainstorm brewery absolutely trash inverter because they they've recorded earlier than us and so they were to be fair to everybody in the first few days of a deck emerging, it's utterly unclear whether it's just a Saffron Olive build that, that might be played for a little bit and forgotten, or if it's going to put up results. And BSB was pretty early in the cycle, and they were absolutely wrecking Inverter, saying, this card's trash, sell it right away, get whatever you can for it, etc. Turns out, like, I had no trouble unloading my Russian Inverter of Truths at 15 bucks a pop. Um but nobody knew that that was going to happen. You got to you got to see the results before you know what's what to do about it. Yeah, well, so you know, I, I like to think that I hammered a look. It doesn't look to me like this is going to take off right away, but maybe it's decent. Um, it, you know, we just need to see if the, the deck can get a couple reps in. I did not expect to see it come out of the gate so hard, so fast. Um, that really took me uh, by surprise. You know, I w- you know, if we had seen one top eight copy, we would I would have been saying, hey, look, this deck made it into the top eight of a pro tour. Uh, this is probably going to stick around. I would consider, you know, looking at specs of this, but this just hit like a, a hammer. Which brings us to the um, other card in the deck that's taken off. Jace Wielder of Mysteries at a War of the Spark going from $3 to $7 after going from basically a dollar last summer up to $3 along the way here. Um, or it was always going to be a good long-term play for Commander, given the ability that was on it. Um, people were thinking originally that this like added some consistency to decks that wanted to leverage Lab Maniac, and now you've got Thassa's Oracle on top of that. So Thassa's Oracle is basically the number one uh, card from the set on EDH Rec, because people are jamming it in all over the place. And Jace's could push i I would guess that if you took a brick of jace's to austin this weekend you get a pretty sweet price on the floor saturday morning yep not gonna argue with that whatsoever they will be paying top dollar for those uh 
trying to flip them at the start of the event. So current, I was in at, let me just see here. No, please, please tell us. I was in at I'm eager 76 cents in September. So I've got 40 in a brick here, and Card Kingdom is currently offering 520 credit. But I didn't send it in yet. Because <laughs> uh, as with the castles, I have a feeling this is going to ratchet another dollar. Uh, yeah, I think you could go this weekend with yep. it. Like, let it, let it, let, see what happens. If it, if it crushes the top eight again, you like, you cannot wait because that is going to just be like instant ban. Uh, if it manages like one slot, then it's like, okay, the deck is capable, but when the format has adjusted for it a little bit then you know it's much more safe uh this weekend will be the, the litmus yeah test. i'm looking to exit friday or saturday um if it doesn't if the price doesn't move i'll sell if it goes up i will definitely sell if it goes down i'll probably get scared and sell so one way or the other i'm probably selling this weekend <laughs> the you gotta you gotta roll with the market but i i see if it posts up two deck two showings in the top eight and the win percentage is solid but not ridiculous then the deck's probably safe for a while. They'll let it roll and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just this, you just got to be nimble on it would be my my concern. Crystal Shard was featured recently on Command Zone. I think it was in the Uro deck. Uh, it's out of Mirrodin. Uh, $2 to $5 this week. I'm trying to remember if this is a card that catches a reprint in, in the Mystery Boosters or Promo Packs or something. Uh, I don't have the mystery booster list pulled up. I'm not even sure where that is. Let's see. Does Scryfall indicate this? Oh, come on. Why are you lagging Scryfall? You're not supposed to do that. It is in the mystery booster. Yeah. Yeah. So Crystal Shard rising, heading into the March 13th release of the mystery boosters. Perfect example. Sell that card. (laughs) Sell that card. Now, foils Uh, is a different matter. Because you know that the foils and non-foils do not align in the mystery boosters. So, the foil crystal shards should be safe for a little while. Yes, although foil crystal shard is... Already quite expensive. Oh, they're only $12. It's actually a lot cheaper than I would have guessed. But it was dark steel foil or whatever, which is pretty brutal. Oh, they just don't exist. There are no near-mint foils uh you'll lightly played ones are 20 there you go probably possibly because of command zone though well this this card does a lot of work with a lot of different things in commander and it's probably just oh yeah overall underrepresented versus potential because it's old enough that not a lot of the newer players wouldn't have it top of mind but even the occasional feature on something like Command Zone will be enough to keep the foils nice and high as long as it dodges a reprint. I could see this showing up in the Commander Legends set in November. It'd be a, a solid inclusion there as a foil, non-foil. But Mystery Boosters will, in theory, still be in play at that point. So maybe not. Um, so, uh, anyway, top card of the week. Took us a long time to get there. Rat Colony out of Dominaria. Moving from a dollar to two seventy-five. 175% gain. Guess why? Because the secret layer last week was all about rats. So 
that put the attention on the non-foil versions of the rat colonies, which everybody flagged way back when they were revealed for Dominaria as a card that you would want to put away at some extremely low price. I think I got them at like 30 cents or something um, a year and a half ago, I guess now. Because mm-hmm. you can play as many as you want in a deck. And so people buy them in the 20, 30, and 40 at a time. And so here we are, it going to $3. And I think buy list was up to a buck 15 or a buck 20 or something, and I flagged it for our Discord members. But then I took a look at retail and figured, like, given that people don't buy these one at a time, they buy them in quantity, that's a good, that's a good time to sell a $3 card because you might sell 10 or 15 of them at a time or 20 of them at a time. If you've got a big stack... Just put 60 of them up on eBay or TCG and see if somebody takes a swipe, puts a big order in. It, it's certainly a differs from our standard advice because it's not restricted by the four cards per pack or four cards per deck, which is or one. kind of what sits your one, right? Which is what sits behind our like, hey, these 50 cents at $3 can like work out, but you got to move a lot of them. They're typically buy list plays. This essentially gets to play the 50 cents at $3 game, but it doesn't have to be a buy list play because of that. Uh, a unique, a distinct and uncommon characteristic. So, yeah, so I, if I'm remembering correctly, probably the voice I remember ratting on about this back in when it was first revealed, probably DJ. Like, this is the kind of thing that DJ loves because he gets tons of them in bulk. Yeah. Um, he <laughs> makes them a, a bulk pick of the week or whatever. Um, so yeah. good on him. Moving on to cards to watch. We're going with uh, quality over quantity, it looks like, this week. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you only have two. Normally, you're chomping at the bit. We've been talking up a lot of stuff in the Discord this week, so I've burned through a couple of opportunities. I think the Ephemia one's probably a bonus pick. And I've got an, an, another one to talk about that I'm not going to put on the list because I don't want to be held to it later. But uh, it's worth people taking a look at anyway. Um, gotcha. Let's start off with something you called foils for back on episode 197. I'm going to call the non-foils here because I think we've got fresh info that uh, makes that relevant. Dig Through Time is a four of that does a ton of work to... Put the pedal to the metal and get to the end game in the inverter deck. Because basically what you do is you drain your graveyard uh, with the dig through time, find the missing combo piece, and then switch your library for your graveyard and win the game. So that delve comes in real handy. And people have been mm-hmm. saying since the moment Pioneer was debuted that dig through time is a broken card that it will eventually get banned in this format and all it needs is the right combination of elements that demonstrates its power level. And I saw a couple of different pros pointing out that this could be that moment for Dig Through Time. So this pick definitely carries some ban risk. And I think that people have held off on acquiring certainly fan... Like, I don't think people have been tripping over themselves to pick up foil Dig Through Times last few months largely because they're assuming it's going to get banned at some point. If you could give people a three-year guarantee on it, I think you'd see those foils move real fast. Um, Especially if Inverter turns out to be good but not broken and sticks around in the format. Dig Through Time just looks like a great position to be in. I'm seeing the ramp start to form around this card. The inventory is moderate, but given the level of play for the Inverter deck, I think that demand could outpace that supply. It's only got two printings from KTK and Ultimate Masters. 
So not easy to restock because both of those boxes are expensive now. Uh, and so my call here is for it to go 5 to 10, 100% gain. Maybe your buy listing at 8 or 9, somewhere along the way, and it gets to 10 to 12. Um, this is a card that's going to be in demand. Like, I think if you could snap, if you could walk into the GP this weekend with a bunch of these you picked up between 4 and $5, you could probably unload them at 7 to 8 to somebody. I, I mean, I definitely love, loved the foils. Um, I mean, you're, the card is undeniably powerful, and I think the, the ban risk is, is very real here. Um, I'm kind of looking through TCG Player now at it. Uh, the power levels through the roof, it, it's driving what's basically the best probably the best pioneer deck right now or close to it uh i mean the the the, hmm, the ultimate masters inventory is actually much more shallow than the cons one you hit 10 you know it doesn't take too long to hit 10 over there um but you hit it it's a little while longer on the cons ones i i I like dig through time, and I think five to ten is viable. I think I'm slightly less confident than you are, mostly just because the inventory seems kind of deep, and that this is exactly the type of card that I would pull up and want to be really good and be like, mm, "There's just a few too many for me." That's kind of where I am. I, I don't tend to pick cards with inventory that has sixty listings very often, but. Inverter deck has a lot of momentum. And, yeah, yeah. And we've already seen what it has done to Inverter as a mythic from a winter set, pushing it from obscurity at like bulk bin 50 cents up to $15, like massive returns. Dig Through Time is a card that I think more players already have on hand from a standard format or modern before it got banned. And they've just been sitting around languishing. So a lot of us can just pull them out and play with them if we need to. Like, I didn't need to buy Dig Through Times to build my Just Guy Dragons deck. I've just got them from before. So that that weighs on it a bit, I think. Um, but I like the fact that, A, it can't lose the slot in this deck. Like, I don't think there's any conceivable card, certainly not already in print, that can, that can push Dig Through Time out via a different configuration of the deck. They need the card to find the combo pieces and clear the graveyard. It's a two-for-one in terms of its impact on what it does in the game. So it's too important to cut. Also, if the deck turns out to be good but not too good, this pick is great. If the deck turns out to be too good, they're not going to ban Dig Through Time, I don't think. I think they would ban Inverter because it's not clear the deck is dead without Dig. They could switch to some other some other card that does a less efficient job of it. So Dig could be the ban, but it might not be. Inverter doesn't touch anything else. You can make the argument that, the, that they always wanted to ban Dig, so it's the most dangerous element here. You got to make your own choices. This, like, th- this I, one could easily go wrong, either because the deck, uh, the deck is too good, or because not enough people choose to play it because it's not good enough. You got to hit the sweet spot where the deck posts up in the top five decks in the format and sticks there for a while, and then 
you would get somewhere with this pick? I would say, uh, reg- at least regarding the band component, uh, I would probably pick Dig in that deck over Inverter because they likely are going to look at it and go, well, look, in- Dig is... You, you specifically said... Dig does a ton of time. Dig does a ton of work in this deck. Um, very powerful base, you know, given like the delve interaction with how this functions. So trying to replace that for something else, you is likely going to put a huge drag on the list. But basically, Dig is very, very necessary and is very good in other decks. And basically, just looks, you know, if if it's driving Demir Inverter decks to be top of the format it's probably going to drive something else along the way they know they banned it in the past i'm you know everyone knows it's been on the short list so they might just be like hey you know what we could ban inverter of truth and get rid of kind of a cool deck then but then have to keep dig through time which is probably going to come up in conversation again in a matter of months if not weeks or we kick out Dig Through Time, we let this weird deck with a new Theros deck, Theros Rare, live and let that see if it can function without this like major combo draw piece and get rid of a card that we weren't really wild about having in the format anyways. Like that's kind of where I would expect them to go. But again, Wizards kind of does what they want to do and we you know we're not the greatest at being able to figure out what uh even if we can come up with a very good reason they should do a they will definitely they will do b plenty of times uh so i i guess i don't think you're ever going to lose on this pick like i don't think that you're going to buy at five and get destroyed uh it's not going to drop to two dollars like the worst case scenario is it just doesn't move that much and you buy list it for roughly what you paid so i would say the risk is very low well, if it gets banned, dig craters again. Um, so th- there's some definitely some risk on this play. What's your first pick? I'm sorry that I couldn't couldn't go to bat as hard for you on it as you might. I, have I, I think we're providing a realistic perspective on it. Like I I in no way <laughs> disagree that uh, with the risk profile. Okay. Okay. I I okay. I I just I feel like I have to. I want to be honest, right? Like, I want to of make course. sure that, like, I, ne- I I have never, like, propped up anyone's picks if I didn't think they were decent. And I don't want ever want to be kind of put to task for that. And, like, you, you've definitely, I think you're probably a little nicer about it telling me when you don't like mine either. <laughs> but you've done it. <laughs> My strategy lately with the picks that we make on cast, <clears throat> people always think, assume we, we talk our book, that we buy ahead of time and then talk about them. But my strategy... <clears throat> is much more about figuring out what our best pick is each week, the same way that we discuss with the listeners. And then I buy some. And I'm not convinced it's dig yet, so let's see what else we got. Well, uh, my first pick this week is Walking Ballista. Foils out of Aether Revolt are currently around 40 bucks. So one of the decks that I would say kind of surprised people out of the Pro Tour is this Mono White Devotion list that showed up it was a top performing deck over in Nagoya. 
This is the one it has. It was basically a Heliod Walking Ballista combo deck um, for the two-card combo. It runs a little bit of Daxo, the new Daxos. It runs a playset of uh, Arcanus Owl. Um, got some Knight of the White Orchid action, Draven Inspector. Um, some of the new Elspeth Saga. Um, a bunch of Gideon allies on the cars, some Nikto. So, you know, just mono-white devotion with it, with a combo kill in it. Um, did very well on the weekend. Uh, mono-white devotion posted a 55% win rate, which is very solid. Kind of came out of nowhere, and it seems to be, I think... I guess there's a Heliad Company deck, which would have been green-white, that was a 58% win percentage. So I guess technically you could say that you could say that that was a better version of the Heliod deck, but that will still use Walking Blister regardless. Um, so a good weekend for the combo overall. Both versions of the deck posted above fifty percent win rates. Um, in fact, the Heliod combo one posted the fourth highest win rate of any of the decks. It's already proven itself to be a, co a valid combo piece over and over again right like this isn't news me talking about walking ballista as like a an important card in creature-based combos this isn't something you're surprised by uh which is why the buy-in on the foils is 40 dollars and the non-foils is 25 um that said you're getting uh, there's a couple foils floating around at 40 41 in both between the pack and the pre-release and the ramp up to 50 is so sh sharp and in fact i swear copies of this have been bought since i wrote this down an hour ago because i'm looking right now and there are two copies at 41 dollars on tcg and then it's 45 for the pack foils and i'm almost positive there were a couple more when i started i'm pretty an hour, yeah, I, hour i'm pretty sure recording. i declined to provide a price to somebody that requested to buy some of these from me within the last week as well because this is another card that if it fades the mystery booster foils, then it's going to it's going to get there. Like this is going to be a sixty, seventy, eighty dollar foil. Yeah, which because, is which is what I had it pegged at was sixty. Now this is the other deck, like Demir and Murder, that could end up two busted, or could end up defining the format. We don't know yet. Um, the pick is reinforced by the fact that there are currently, as you pointed out, two different versions of the deck, one with Splashing Green for the Collected Company, one without, that both put up reasonable results, suggests that the deck is not locked in, is not extremely rigid in the way it must face the meta, and that it can be tweaked to do, to come at the meta from different angles. Um, it's nice that this is essentially a mono-white aggro deck that has a combo element, and when you add in Collected Company, you get a little more reach as well to go find... Basically, the Collected Company is playing the same role that Dig Through Time does in the Inverter deck. It's going to find the piece and get you to the endgame. So, uh, mm. really, I just think the Mystery Boosters are the, are the main problem here. And uh, that sheet is only so big. There are only, whatever it is, 121 foils i think on the sheet uh yeah that sounds about right I, I i agree with you that um the 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 banning is a concern i am less concerned about this getting banned than i am anything out of demir it 
inverter. It doesn't look like this had like this didn't crush the weekend the way that uh, Demir and Berger did, right? Like they had one in the top eight of Brussels, but they had two, three, four, five in the top eight of Nagoya, which is pretty rough. So this weekend could tell a different story, right? Like if this weekend Demir and Berger kind of fades away and the Heliod combo decks kind of really come out of the gate swinging, um, then it'd be like, then that changes the conversation. But at the moment, that's not what I get. It seems like it could be a solid tier one or tier 1.5 deck, but not busted enough to get banned the mystery booster is uh, still a completely valid concern this is a valid concern for a lot of the cards we talk about um so that's all you have to fade do we know when we're getting the full spoiler for that are they giving us the full spoiler for that before they're in stores because it's such a weird scenario where it's essentially a repeat of a set that's already out in play but they're changing one slot in the packs um i don't know what the date is on that i'm not sure if gavin confirmed that in social media yet or not but i would guess that we they'll start teasing some stuff officially maybe two weeks out i i wouldn't be surprised given that they're called mystery boosters and that they revealed nothing about them before the event right uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did not give us a list, if they just made us wait until the packs were getting cracked on that weekend in stores and we worked from that. And then after the fact, they <clears> said, <throat> okay, here's the full list. That seems like what they'll do here now that I think about it. Possibly true. So I'm yeah. going to leapfrog over our next two picks and go to our user pick from the uh, MTG Price Pro Trader Discord. Um, this is... I. This pick was advanced to me this afternoon, and I wasn't 100% confident in it. But because it's such a good case study for a shift in the formulation of standard sets, I'm flagging it anyway. So smart, smart player five two four in our Discord Ugh. flag uh, Heliod. You should Sun- have made. You should have made him change his name before you picked this card. <laughs> <laughs> Heliod Suncrowned Showcase Foils. These are currently about $25. He's calling them to go to $40. He's basically just saying it's seeing a lot of play, which is true. Um, However, there are some other factors to consider, as I uh, discussed with him at the time. Uh, We know from vendor partners who did large box crackings and run stats on those that the showcase foil mythics are about twice as populous in Theros as they were in Eldraine. Now in Eldraine, there was only two foil showcase mythics, uh, Realm Cloaked Giant and Brazen Borrower. Um, in this, we have all of the gods. And the way that they reformulated the slots in the collector booster packs also dumped additional copies in the market, you know, per pack opened over a period of time. So... If you think about how collector boosters are probably going to trail off a lot faster overall than regular boosters, just because you don't draft collector boosters, they are more of a collector item or a, you know, loose speculation play. That suggests to me that collector boosters mostly get opened in the first few weeks. The boosters get opened in the first six weeks as drafts continue and so forth. But if the collector boosters have a higher density of these foil showcase mythics, it explains why they have flooded the market so hard early. 
it's kind of weird, right? You would expect like something like a foil extended art Great Henge out of Collector Boosters from Eldrain was a pretty expensive card right out of the gate and has only gotten more so. Um, you're talking $100 plus, um, depending on which version you're talking about, whether it's Japanese or English. Um, the Heliods, given that it's a four of in standard and potentially modern, you would think, and also has some EDH applications, you would think that these foil mythics, foil showcase mythics, would be pushing 40, 50, 60, 80, right? But they're not, they're 25 bucks. There's just more of them around than in previous instances of premium cards. So the reason I say it's such an excellent case study is because if this formulation continues on into Ikoria, <clears throat> if there's a bunch of Godzilla creatures there and they choose a, you know, a handful of the mythics to be the showcases <clears throat> and they do this again where they juice the, the um, collector boosters, which I think is a trend you can expect to continue then it will be important to keep your eye on some of these better gods that are seeing really solid play and see if the demand in the market can overcome the additional supply. I haven't well, been running I haven't been running out buying these. In fact, I've been selling them. I think I sold maybe two of the ones that I opened in my collector boosters for something closer to $30 last week. Um but it did occur to me that, you know, we talked earlier about how Mystic Speculation and Noxious Grasp and maybe Thassa's Oracle represent these foil uncommons that we would have assumed were toxic last summer when we found out that foils were getting a 50% uh, boost in the drop rate, but overcame that. And in this case, we're talking about a Mythic, which, yes, is twice as popul- populous as the previous showcases, but it's still less populous overall than normal foil mythics and far more rare than foil uncommons. So yeah, maybe it gets there and sooner than we think. Well, I have a foil showcase Heliod sitting on my desk. Um, it was on top of the pile. Actually, I opened it when I cracked the four collectors boosters last week. Um, and if you check the TCG page for that, you will see my copy for sale and I have it listed at 50 bucks because I'm like, I think this is better than the 20 or $25 it's at. Uh, I'm going to put this at the price that I want to sell it for basically. Uh, so I stuck it up there because I'm essentially in the same boat. Now I didn't run out and buy any, but I'm like Heliod. I think the Heliod combo is going to be legitimate in Pioneer. I think that that's going to <clears throat> uh, continue to show up in the top tier decks. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see it do well in Standard on top of that. And I think that supply is roughly at its peak right now. It will continue because it's the way the showcases work. They show up in normal packs. So there will be more copies to get introduced to the market, but I don't think it's going to outpace the overall demand for them. And like 20 to $25 is pretty cheap for a foil mythic. Like all things considered, that is an inexpensive price in you know history considered for a foil mythic. The best mythics in the set tend to hang at $25 or $30 for non-foil. 
40 to 50 for foil. So this is a, a foil mythic, but a slightly more rare version of the foil mythic. Um, so I, I am pretty much on board. I think that if you, that I, if I was going to go anywhere here, I'd say, okay, if I was going to buy a play set of Heliods for myself, I would probably go get the foil showcases at 20 or 25 bucks. Um, and then that way, if they do climb the 40 or 50 bucks, I get to sell them for a profit and, you know, switch to another version type of thing. Um, and if they don't, I've got a cool place out of Heliods. So that's roughly the angle I would take. And as I said, I, I think I sold somewhere between 28 and 30. If I can get a, catch a coupon or a desperate seller and get a play set under 80, then that's oh, a fine well, re-entry. Yeah, that's solid right there. Um, and that's not too far off, given the various coupons our pro traders have available at various vendors, and also just the, the events that go on in TCG Player and eBay and so forth, or just catching an auction at an awkward moment on eBay, etc. The, the other thing to consider is that it's the fourth most popular commander out of this set, uh, after Siona, Croxa, and Uro. 140 decks, uh, Siona's leading the pack at 168, so... Heliod's, you know, looks like a modestly popular commander as well. Yeah, and I mean, I'll level with you. I don't really like him as a commander long term at all. I'm just like, I don't know who would feel compelled. I mean, I, I, I see it right there, right? It's on the page in front of me. He's the fourth most popular commander. I don't really get that. Um, and I don't think that that will persist. Uh, but I do think he'll do fine in the 99 over time. Now, he's in th 300 decks, which puts him at, you know, just in the 99, which puts him at uh, 12, like the 17th most popular card in the set. Um, you know, for reference, the top EDH card is Dryad of the Ilzian Grove at about 1,000. So he's a little less than a third as popular as the, the most popular card in the set. So mediocre but there will be some amount of continued demand for him in edh as just a a side note um my other thought here is that playa is the spanish word for beach i remember that so he is no longer smart playa he is smart playa and it is an intelligent beach <laughs> all right so i think Heliad sun crowd is a card that i'm i'm flagging as Keep your eye on this. If you can get a playset down near 20, it's probably a pretty solid entry point. And the part I'm uncertain of, given that this is essentially a new rarity, is whether it's going to take consistent play in Pioneer three months, six months, 12 months to drive this, and whether the deck will survive that long. Because if it falls off the radar in Pioneer, then it's going to take a lot longer. Because then you're talking about EDH only. And there'll be plenty of copies around, and it could be a two or three year hold. Yes, that would be rough if this but if, show fell off the. If you have a, a roughly de a decent chance of seeing Heliod as a four of top eight pioneer events all year, then I could see this getting there in six months, like get, doing that twenty five to forty hop, and giving you and you're probably looking to sell it retail as opposed to buy listing and because the buy list may not get there. It's also worth checking what buy lists are currently at on the card. And they are at... Meanwhile, supply is on the deeper side, a little deeper than I would have anticipated. 90 uh, listings or something. Yeah, 99, 100 vendors, yeah. For foils, specifically. 
What I mean, and what you need to compare that to is how many pack foil listings are there for Uro, who probably is seeing roughly the same amount of play, but didn't get the showcase boost because it's extended art as the alternative. So let's see, 99 foil showcases. Uh, 89 pack foils. So there's actually fewer people selling pack foils and showcase foils. And see, this is what's telling. Uro pack foils only has 30 results. So it's roughly a third as many copies left on TCG. Now, you could argue that that is that Uro is overall more popular, but I'm not sure that that's true. Um, they're both seeing a lot of play and a lot of people want to require these. <clears throat> but I think that that the fact that the sh- there are three times as many showcase listings on TCG currently as there are for the arguably most popular uh, non-showcase mythic in the set is the part you got to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's up there, right? Like, it's... it's... We'll see how it goes. I think we're both eager to see what happens. I'm going to put confidence level on this officially on the sheet at 7. We'll see. So let's go back to my my final pick of the week. Scrap Heap Scrounger Foils. Back on that foil train. Short to mid. Three to six months. Seeing a lot of play in black decks. There's not that many foils left. If you can snap them off at four or five bucks, I think you're going to get out at ten. Buy them a playset, maybe two playsets. You'll be fine. It's yeah, the ninth most um, played, most ninth most played card in Pioneer right now. <clears throat> now that I that I'm much more on board for with. Uh, I actually looked at the non foils on this earlier, um, and I didn't like the supply, but I did not check the foils. But uh, Scrappy Scrounger definitely doing a lot of work in Pioneer in a variety of strategies. In fact, I saw Liz was posting it in a, like a, I thought she said it was a Jun deck earlier today. So. I think that card has a long history in Pioneer ahead of it. Um, so I'm on board for sure. What the black deck likes more than anything else is that your your kill cards don't aren't one for ones because a lot of their creatures come back. That is a big part of why the deck exists in the format. <clears throat> is that they gave they printed a bunch of black recursive creatures and the format even with access to Supreme Verdict doesn't necessarily contain them via a single sweeper because they can just bring them back the following turn or the turn after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That resiliency um, is key. Yes. Yep. That is good for that card. Uh, all right. I'm going to finish off the week with a non-foil pick. Uh, one that we talked about a lot quite a few years ago, which is Jace Vrin's Prodigy. Um, the non-foils out of Magic Origins are currently sitting at about $25. Uh, it is in one-tenth of all Pioneer decks. Um, it is like the 48th most played creature, so it's not super high, but it do- it is in 10% of decks, which I thought was an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, Salt Eye Delirium was second place at Brussels and also has the highest win rate by a consi- I would say a considerable margin. Um, the stats that got crunched show Salt Eye Delirium with a win rate of 69%. Uh, me- memes aside, that is disgusting. Um, the next highest is 60, and that was Sram Auras, which I think is just Ken Yukihiro. 
and Bant Spirits also at 60, and then quite a few decks fill in the 50 to 60 range. But 70%, a nearly 10% higher. Uh, no, let me rephrase that. A, oh God, what is that? It's like a 17% higher win rating than the next highest deck is significant. The point being, Assault Like Delirium looks like it's probably quite good. And Jace is showing up, you know, as a part of that deck. Uh, he's also going to be used in probably any graveyard relevant, interested strategies in Pioneer in the future. He does a lot of work for those builds, um, helping to loop, puts, you know, fills your graveyard, obviously, for whether it's delirium strategies or just general graveyard. He turns into a planeswalker, blah, blah, blah. You guys know how the card works. So he's not like a one trick pony, like, for instance, Inverter of Truth would be. Now, obviously, Inverter of Truth enables a two card combo and is very good. Um, Jace is more of a mid-rangey engine generating card, not as splashy. But the point is, is that like you could see him in a variety of strategies uh, in contrast to Inverter. So you're looking at about 25, 26 bucks for non-foil copies out of in Origins right now. Um, there are about 85 vendors, but if you buy in at 25 to 26, you're looking at something like I'm gonna say five. 10 play sets and then the price is 35 and i think it's less than 10 plays i think five play sets is eh, five to 10 play sets so it's really not that many copies before the price is 35 and i've got it written down the target out as 40 on the sheet here so not a humongous percentage gain like 55 percent uh you can you can find better percentage gains elsewhere but i like that this is a card that if the price moves to 40, you can sell play sets. It's non-foil, so it will move a little easier. I suspect that if Salti Delirium has another good weekend, then we could really see the number move on this. I would love to see this get there. I have Russian foils, <laughs> German foils. I have all sorts of shit sitting around from when this was a big deal in Standard, and it got up over $100, and I don't know if I was greedy or lazy. Um, at the time, but I must have sold some of the copies, but still have some around. So I didn't need to go in on JVP because I already had JVP um, when Pioneer came back or, uh, or landed on the table. I do like the ramp here from 25 to 40. You don't need to get that many listings down. Nobody's got any really big walls on it. Um, it's going to be hard to assemble them. It's a hard card to reprint because it's a flip card. Um, so I would be willing to bet we don't see it this year. The I'm a little concerned that it's not clear whether the decks that have been running it in Pioneer want it all the time. Uh, it does have the dies to fatal push problem, so you need to be in a deck where you are messing with your... Uh, like, JVP does the most work in a deck where it doesn't activate cards that your opponent would otherwise be facing as dead cards. And that requires a fairly specific formulation. Sometimes you want to be bringing cards like this in out of the sideboard so they can do a lot of work when your opponent takes their kill spells out. It's tricky. And I saw, looking over the list that we're running it at the, the Pro Tour stops overseas, it looked like there wasn't consensus yet as to how many copies and whether you're running it main or board or whether you're running it at all. 
So we got a little bit of work to do. Like you said, we need to see what this weekend's results look like. Definitely lives up to the namesake of the segment, Cards to Watch. This is a card to watch <laughs> as a mythic that could take off hard if it plays a major role this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I am totally happy to... Uh, well, what is the term I'm looking for here? Mm, this warrants caution. This is, I think, another good candidate for the, if you need a play set, it's a good card to buy a, your own personal set of, hoping for some proceeds down the road. And if not, you're not really shaken up about it not having happened because you had the card you needed anyways. Now, this coming weekend could tell a different story. Um, but that's if Salti Delirium really goes nuts and does a lot of work. So, uh, you know, if it has a fine but not thrilling performance, then it ends up in decent shape, but still not going to be skyrocketing. I would say overall, and I guess this is a, a kind of a segue into segment three here. Overall, I found the Pro Tours, you know, the the top list to be fascinating. Uh, Ken Yuki Heroes, Orzov, Aura's deck was definitely the, I think, the the most fascinating of the, the two events, simply because nobody had really seen that deck before, short of, you know, somebody on, I don't know, MTG Salvation, you know, brewing it themselves. Uh, mostly because Demir Inverter had already come out. Um, we knew about it. We didn't know how good it was, but it wasn't a shock to see it. Where now, if, if that deck hadn't been spoiled before the event, that would have been the big news. And I, I, but where this is all going is that it, the format looks great, but I scoured those lists and just kind of came away thinking, like, I'm having trouble pulling too many specs out of these lists at the moment. The nice thing about that white black list, uh, the enchantment list that Yuka Hero was on, is how cheap that deck is. And mm, yeah, yeah. If, if you're one of our, you know, Discord members that bought Theros collector boxes, you have a bunch of these cards in foil already. Because if you pop those boxes, you're going to run into a bunch of foil Alcide of Life's Bounty. You're probably going to pick up some Ephemias. You're going to see some Karametra's Blessings pop up. Um, and then if you've been playing Magic for a while, you've probably got in your bulk box Ethereal Armors, Cartouche Solidarity. You might have some All That Glitters. Like, this is a cheap deck. You probably had SRAM, if you're a finance, MTG finance person, you probably got some SRAM Senior Edificer as a spec anyway. And Hateful Eidolons also come out of the uh, the Collector Booster. So you can build this deck in foil pretty easily. The land base isn't even that expensive. Concealed Courtyards and Godless Shrines and a Mana Confluence. Everything else is mm-hmm. pretty cheap. So I'm, I'm actually pulling this deck together, not because I'm all that interested in it, but I want to understand it because I want to figure out if it has Staying Powder. So I might run this at FNM this week. It's a good candidate for that. Um, I'm guessing that the overall breakdown of the Pro Tour won't be such that people at your FNM are going to be devoting a lot of slots to trying to beat this deck. Um, I think it's always going to be solid when it's not the t- deck people are targeting. It, it is notable that Collected Company... Uh, is worth flagging here because it's a four of in multiple of the decks that did well this weekend. 
The first place deck, of course, in Nagoya was Bant Spirits, and they are basically a blue-white deck that runs the four collected companies. Then you have the Heliod version that's running the four collected companies. Anytime you've got a card that's not currently in print, that's rare or mythic, and is run as a four of in multiple decks in the most popular format, you've got a recipe for some price advancement. I can't believe this stupid card is still 16 bucks. That seems... And there's 113 vendors for a collected part, company. Part of it is that I think it showed up in a event deck or something at some oh, point. Yes, that is true. It did do that. That, that, that set it back. And it is not marked any different. It just, show, it just shows up as a t- traditional Dragons of Tarkir copy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... We've already seen movement on the foils for a lot of the cards in Bant Spirits. Additional pressure on Brazen Borrower moving through the rest of the year is, is likely because that card's seeing lots of play in lots of formats. Uh, in, in the Inverter deck, if the Inverter deck, again, proves to be good but not busted and needs to be removed from the format good, they, they run, in some versions, for Brazen Borrower. They're running the four Thassa's Oracle, so there'll be additional pressure on that card. Inverter of Truth, though, is the big gatekeeper. It's the mythic in the deck. So Inverter could not could be not done. Like, if, if Inverter is, is putting up solid but not too good results, then Inverter of Truth could end up being a $30 mythic easily. Hmm. I... Uh, my, my only... The, the only reason that I kind of wince at that is because who... The only people that need Inverter of Truth are people playing it in this deck, right? Like, there's no other demand yep. whatsoever. Yep. What but price the, did you say? Is did you probably, say 30? There's probably some commander demand in the future because you've got additional combo pieces with Inverter. You've got Laboratory Maniac, Jace, and Oracle at minimum to fool around with Inverter of Truth. And Jason yeah. Alt made the point on, on their cast that they... that you know, most of this already existed. Like, Inverter is not a new card. People were, some people were aware of the interactions with, with the nothing in the, in the uh, library, uh, trick. But Inverter has already basically provided profit to two separate segments of the market. The people that got in at fifty cents to a dollar were selling to people in the four to eight dollar range. People that bought at four to eight can sell at fifteen now and be fine. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that the fifteen people could sell at thirty. <laughs> so that's that's fascinating so here, uh, here's my thought here's my position if this card is $30 it's getting banned or something out of that deck is getting banned that's maybe. my my depends read. how fast like this, this deck would have to be yeah but it would have to be so good for that to happen I just don't see so it so most of most of the builds are fairly controlish. A bunch of counter spells, thought seize, and some kill spells, and then they basically just have the oracle and Jace and the inverter. There was a different version though in the Japanese Pro Tour stop. The third place deck Shintaro Ishimura was the one running the Brazen Borrower version for Brazen Borrower for Gadwick the Wizened and for Harbinger of Tides, and basically and basically ran almost no instance or sorceries main. No Thoughtseize, two Wizards Retort, and that's it. So no counter spells, no interaction really other than what was on the creatures. And that's a little weird because they have tons of blue pips, but they're not running any Thassas of any kind. Old Thassa or new Thassa. 
but he but he also ran main for leyline of, of anticipation so that he could he could combo off at the end of their turn the the leyline of anticipations is sick that i like that's that's fun uh i i mean that, I, that that's a cool deck that's a cool deck uh i i guess i'm just still stuck on the like does this does this can you you can't this deck doesn't work without inverter though right like you basically yeah, you need, need like without inverter you have to find a way to clear your graveyard your whatever. no you need no 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 you need you need inverter because otherwise you got to get through your entire deck the whole yeah. thing here is that you you basically clear your graveyard then invert and you have no library and so in his version with leyline and he's running four nykthos shrine to nyx he can basically do both parts of the combo at the same time at the end of their turn. So he, he basically, you know, does a Harbinger or whatever, a Merfolk Trickster, an early Oracle if he needs to, Gadwicks to get some more cards, and then he's already got a Leyline on the table from earlier in the game. He Brazen Borrower or something and then casts it and ends up with, you know, four or five, six pips plus his lands, and at the end of turn he can do another Oracle plus the Inverter all at once. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Don't get me wrong. Like, being able to just slam that is definitely uh, appealing. And then the other thing is just, like, pressure on Jace, pressure on Oracle. Like, they, the reason I didn't send my Jaces in yet is I think they can still get, they can probably get another dollar or two further along here, pending results this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, Jaces seem good, but we talked about those. In the Vampire deck, Soren Imperious Bloodlord. Still a four of, still seeing lots of play, still likely to see gains in the next year. Now, in the Brussels version, which actually had twice as many players, um, four Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, you know, Jace, Vrin's Prodigy, is a better mythic to target because there's less of them around. Um, but certainly worth paying attention to what happens to Uros because Uro could easily be a mythic that pushes 50 this year. And provides a great exit. Like if you're cracking Uros in your collector boosters, I don't think you need to be flipping those right away. Just to convince Uro, yourself that you're getting your your value back out. Yeah, Uro is a disgusting magic card, and I'm pretty high on that, all things considered. It doesn't look uh, bannable is the thing. It looks powerful, no. but it's not getting even uh, removing it from these decks wouldn't do anything. It's just a, it's a hyper efficient uh, two pronged card. In many ways, I find that Uro plays like an adventure card because it has that first payment to get it into play, get the card, get the life, drop a land, then it goes away for a while, then eventually you escape it, and so it plays very similarly as though it has flashback to do more down the road. And yeah, it's it just reads very powerful but not bannable. I think that comparing it to an adventure card is very fair. And that's kind of what I was talking about when we were chatting about it with uh, Dan and Drew. And I was like, look, this is a three mana sorcery on the front half and everything else is a bonus. And the, the essentially the front half of the card is playable as it is. And then occasionally you get, this other half of the card kind of quote unquote for free. It's like you drew that card in the games where it's playable and that's a free card and it's a damn good free card. Um, so I, I, 
I like that analogy and I think that it's telling as well because the adventure cards in general I think have proven to be probably a little better than people were expecting out of the gate. You know, it's another card I would keep your eye on. What's breeding, that, James? Breeding Pool Expeditions. Take a look at the yeah. results for those on uh, TCG. Weren't you telling... Didn't you mention this like last week or something? I feel like you mentioned uh, Expedition Shocks at some point. I think we've, we we mentioned that, hey, these could see some motion, but this is the motion. Like, there's seven listings left Ooh. for this. And Siete... Breeding pool didn't get a breathing didn't get any breathing room. Like it went from Oko to Uro. <laughs> didn't get any breathing, breathing room. Still. So Breeding Pool Expeditions look like a hold to me. Now we're headed back to Zendikar in the fall, so who knows what they're gonna do for the premium cards there. But if you're if very, you ever decide <laughs> Very unlikely that they will re-inject shocks into the format that fast. If you ever decide to have a home birth, you have to make sure you have a breeding pool. (laughs) (laughs) True. We did call foil shocks at one point, but I'm trying to track it down. Oh, man, I don't even know when that... I don't know. that That must have been a while ago, I think. I mean, I I I would have said November off the top of my head. Oh, you think it was that recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like post Pioneer, I feel like we talked about a foil shock of some kind. Yeah, we talked about foil steam vents going twenty to forty. Um, on the back that I think we had checked in on breeding pools or when Oko wasn't banned yet, and we were talking about how Oko was driving force behind that card and that blue red was going to find its 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 step in the format and the steam vents foils would chase well i'm definitely a fan of this type of stuff i was looking at them just recently actually there was something god what was i looking at i don't remember kind of lost my train of thought there was one of these cards that was this type of thing i was looking at been looking for an angle on hmm. but i didn't feel like i had it all right i do i do have one more card that i wanted to mention um uh even though we're well into segment three here <coughs> last may i bought a foil amano liliana dreadhorde general anime version on Twitter, Gross. from Ed for about four fifty, flipped it the same week to France for six hundred or six fifty. I think everybody involved felt good about the transaction, but they've posted up pretty consistently near a thousand heading into late summer as war- more Gross. war boxes got opened and uh, the foil planeswalkers started showing up in some of the promo packs at LGSs. Um, it did retreat a bit, and you can find copies in North America in the like seven to nine hundred range, depending on whether you're buying from a person or a retailer. The price over on Haruya for that card, the current ask is twenty four hundred. Well, twenty two, twenty four, <laughs> twenty four 
24,000 yen. 240,000 Japanese yen. <laughs> Thank you. I was, I was doing the conversion in my head and I was thinking it was, I was take, lopping off two zeros and trying to convert it to US, but it's actually more like 1.1. So it's more like 2,200 US or something. But the point is their ass price is more than double the current retail in North America. And I was tracking that copy they had in stock and it sold. It got delisted. It is no longer listed. Well, presumably it's sold. There's no reason to delist a $2,400 card if you're trying to sell it. Yeah, I agree. I just don't want to give that so, shit card credit for that. So I was talking to Ed, and I asked him, like, he he was just coming back from Japan this week. <laughs> hey, and idiot. I, <laughs> and I was like, what's your take here? Like, what's a realistic price on the streets over there? And he said it's still, like, that price is real high because they're basically the Star City Games of Japan. But smaller shops are going to have it listed like 1400 to 1600 That's still a pretty solid gap. Because if you could range a private sale of two or three of those, you could pay for most of a flight. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So, if people are looking for things to spend buy list credit on, a foil Amano Lily is probably pretty solid. And it's well worth remembering when you're considering what booster boxes to be opening, cracking, acquiring, that cheap War of the Spark Japanese booster boxes are, have been largely forgotten in the many hype cycles we are have encountered since. But they're probably a very good deal. Anywhere near $100. That There aren't very many boxes where you can crack a $1,000 to $2,000 card. And it's basically twice as rare as a foil mythic used to be. <laughs> so they're not easy to come by. You're not guaranteed one in a box by any stretch of the imagination. But that's still a pretty nice lottery ticket. I mean, there, if you look at the EV of a Japanese war box compared to the price of an Amano Lily foil versus, say, trying to track down a priceless treasures uh, Zendikar box, the ones that had reserve list cards randomly inserted them in them at a very low rate. It's There's no question in my mind that you're supposed to be looking at Japanese war boxes. Not the least reason of which is they have things like Niv-Mizzets, Jace Wielder Mysteries, all sorts of goodies. Uh, I mean, I think Japanese war boxes do sound pretty tempting uh, at like 100 bucks. If you're looking for a fat lottery ticket, that seems like it's not a bad way to go. Um, I'm looking now and TCG has three of them. One, the cheap, they're the 850 bucks. So not dirt cheap. Uh, Card Kingdom has three of them in stock, actually, but they want 950. Which is probably my point being that that is a might be a solid place to retreat. Like I have. Like I said, ten grand worth of store credit by the end of the month that I'm going to have to put into something. Mostly, probably reserve list, but maybe just maybe in a mono lily. Yeah, yeah, I'm really curious about the selling of that. Honestly, if I so I have a bunch of Channel Fireball credit, but I have less with Card Kingdom. But if I had a chunk of Card Kingdom credit, I would be tempted to buy this send it to my friend in Japan and have him just list it for sale over there at two grand and just see what happens. 
Well, and this is where, or, or even 1500 right? Like, par- price it under market so you can actually move it. The, yeah. The, you know, or 1200 even, depending on what the market will bear. I mean, if you're up a few hundred dollars on a $1,000 purchase, you're doing just fine. Like, it's not always, not easy to ratchet plus 100% on $1,000. Yeah, um, but don't honestly, you understand that if I sold it for 1500 instead of $1,200, i would have $300, $300 more dollars? Like, that's, look at that math, James. How do I turn that down? True. Um, now this is where being a pro trader discord member comes in real handy because we have Japanese members that might be able to feel that out and maybe even prearrange a sale before you had even spent your credit. Never any guarantees on that kind of thing, but this is where having an international network of operators tends to come in handy. Yeah. Well, the nice thing there too, is even if, if you get somebody to agree to that ahead of time, you buy the card, it's in transit from, to you from card kingdom or whomever tcg and then the other buyer ends up backing out uh at least you knew know there was enough demand that somebody was interested right um that's nice to know at least so speaking of foil breeding pools take a look at the most recent version on tcg ravnica allegiance printed last this time last year eight listings very steep ramp 27 to 40 easily make the argument that if you can track down a $25 copy of a foil breeding pool from Ravnica Allegiance, which arguably has some of the nicer art that this card has ever had, 25 to 40 looks solid. These foils I mean, are I, I, selling out. That is the type of card that I can't really argue about because like uh, the numbers are just there. Right, like there's just there's and nothing. It didn't show up. On, didn't show up on our list because it's been a slow, steady bleed since Oko became a thing. But yeah, so let's see. These are just yeah. drying up, and it's interesting because the steam vents that I called a while back haven't gone anywhere. They, you can still get them eighteen to twenty two dollars for those foils. But if the breeding pool can support this on heavy play, better believe that the watery graves and the the steam vents can too when they find their deck. Hmm. I do have some. Maybe I should. Maybe I should pick these up. It's a couple. I see. I see two or three that I could be able to buy. I could buy. And o- over on eBay, there are basically none. The cheapest hmm. foil near mint copy on eBay is thirty three dollars. That's nice to know. So. Lots of tips and tips and tricks this week, folks. Let's move on to segment uh, four here. Uh, Talk a little bit about a couple things. Uh, The first is that I'm hearing unsanctioned, the unbox set that has the other fancy foil basics, other than the NYX Pokemon foil basics, um, is more or less sold out at the distributor level. Like, Wizards went for a reasonably modest print run on this product. Box sets, standalone box sets, haven't sold that well in the past. Um, Arch Enemy, Nicol Bolas, and that kind of thing. Um, And unsets are always kind of a question mark, where Rosewater is always trying to get them made, but Wizards is always kind of skeptical about comedy-based magic. (laughs) So, the... 
likelihood here is that you're going to see these on shelves pretty like you're going to be able to get them pretty easily here for a little while and then i think they're going to dry up and from what i'm hearing wizards isn't quite sure if they're going to reprint them or not later this spring the print like the the way that they're they've already got the hype cycles constructed there's not necessarily room for that reprint to make it back its way back to shelves they're they're probably worried that it won't be people won't be clamoring for it by that point trying to get their hands on these lands so i suspect what's going to happen here is that say four to six weeks out you're going to see a jump on these lands somebody's going to take a swipe at them and buy a bunch because there won't be that many to begin with. Because a lot of these box sets, the whole reason people are snapping them up on Amazon at like 47 or whatever is because they want to keep the lands. Mm-hmm. So a lot, I would expect that 90% of this product will not make its way back into the market because the lands are the draw. So if you're buying it, you're you're taking the lands. Um, mm-hmm. It's unlikely you're going to buy it because you're like, oh, I can't wait for that sweet unexperience, and then I'm going to ditch these lands to make it half the price for that much comedy. That seems less likely. So uh, I, I was just saying, I I agree. I think that what you'd end up seeing is the people who buy this because they want the comedy magic cards are exactly the people who will just toss these foil basics in a box and kind of forget that they're there and not pay enough attention to know or care. Or they'll put them in their EDH decks or whatever. Like they're going to use them. Um, forget about they're, them. Yeah, they're not. They're not going to end up outside of their collection. And they're definitely not going to go sell them unless it becomes known that they are very expensive. Like if it turns out that they are selling retail for fifteen, then you could see that some of them enter the market because word will spread. But some people, some people respond to that kind of news by hoarding them even harder. <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah, I'm just picturing. I'm just remembering. You know the. The guy who was playing with the unsleeved, at best heavily played, foil Jace World Waker. Sure. Uh, like those are, you know, they just, just is never a part of any equation for them. And the other thing is, I was really wrong about demand for the winter snow basics. Uh, one like winter wonderland Eldraine or whatever that was one of the original secret layer drops in November. Those foil basics are well exceed the cost of those boxes. Hmm. So there's there's a couple of, and, and the Nyx foil lands you and I had no problem unloading at a reasonable price. Um, mm-hmm. You know, around two fifty, and people are saying maybe they get to four, maybe they get to six ish within the year. But we're just happy to be out early and repurpose the funds. Um, yeah. So there's a bunch of different data points on lands. I don't like any of this stuff holding any of this stuff for the long haul because i think it's so easy for people to get distracted um as the next cool set of basics gets presented but certainly something for people to keep their eye on uh, around unsanctioned the other thing i wanted to talk about was uh updates about the mystery booster um you had spotted on uh twitter uh, earlier this week that <laughs> four of the foils had been uh leaked somewhere yeah, these popped up on Twitter, and it looks like four cards got opened out of the local store mystery boosters. Uh, we're seeing a Reaper King, a Maronar, an Isamaru, and a Blighted Agent, all foils. Um, not 
terribly important cards for the most part. Reaper King would be, but that did just get reprinted in uh, Secret Lair. Uh, so did Marinar last week. True. Yes, yes, yes. In the in the in the rat deck as well. I guess uh, when I look at that list, Reaper King jumps out to me as like the oh yeah, this is the card that people have been looking for for a long time. Um, but we just got another version, so this one isn't that big of a deal anymore. Uh, and I guess it, it 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 keeps with Mystery Booster's theme of all over the place, right? Like these are all I would consider very different cards for the most part. Yeah, true. And also suggest proves out that it's not all, it's not a pile of mythics. Like it's not just a sheet of ultra expensive cards. It's a mixture of cards at varying rarities. And with Did varying, people think that was the case? And with varying target, like target audiences. So the number of super relevant financial foil, like foils affected is probably going to be low to moderately low. Um, yeah. Did pe- did people think that this was just going to be a sheet of like ultra high demand foils? Like, was well, that we, is that a conversation that I missed? Because I know you and I talk about this as being something to be aware of, but I never thought that it was like eighty percent of them were going to be. Well, you know, they they could have been box toppers before we knew that they were a slot. Once you knew that they mm. were a slot, you had to assume that it was a sheet. So that basically means that every one of these is a mythic. And this, and this is an important point to drive home. These are all foils, but they're not the rarity of a foil mythic, even if they say mythic on them. They are the rarity of a mythic, a normal non-foil mythic, because of the way that the, the, for, the, the way that these slots are formulated. Remember, mystery boosters have a very unique formulation where every slot gets its own sheet. So this is the slot that in the convention version is the test print cards. In this version, you're getting a foil slot, and that foil slot all comes off the same sheet. You can presume that each card on the sheet is on there once, although that's not guaranteed. That might not be true. It's possible that they could put lower, like, uh, a, no, no, I think it probably will be true, because I think if there's 121 cards for the slot, which I think is confirmed, then they all appear on the sheet once. So it basically means that foil blighted agent is going to be the same as foil whatever the most expensive thing ends up on the sheet. Um, and they are all just mythics, flat mythics. So you have to evaluate them in that paradigm. And it means that the foil commons and uncommons that show up here, their original prices should be le- less impacted because the total volume of supply is much less in comparison to their original rarity. And the the more recently the card was last printed the more that that will be true so for instance if you had a foil uncommon from last summer that ended up on this sheet it's already got tens of thousands of copies out in the marketplace and you would be only adding a small fraction of that in addition but if you find a foil from 20 years ago that's only expensive in foil because it's the only source that's ever been you might be you know, 20 times a 100 times the amount of available foils in the market. And that could really put some downward pressure on the original foils, depending on how iconic the original version of the card is. So mm-hmm. there's a bunch of different weird factors here. Reaper King would be a really good example of that, which was a, a Shadow Moor card that 
the foils were, I don't know, 80 or $100 or some nonsense that nobody owned because there just weren't any copies. And now you have the secret layer, which is coming to, to market, which is, you know, already going to do a, put a lot more copies in people's hands. And now you're going to have this one, which is going to hit it even harder. You know, the secret layer one might have allowed the original pack foil to keep a decent chunk of its value because they were different R and that's the original and so forth. But now the secret layer one is because it's so similar. Most people are going to be like, why would I pay a hundred dollars for a shadow more foil Reaper King when I can pay 20 for the, this one, uh, that's going to be, it's going to be a hard hit. Now, just to clarify for our listeners and for myself too, like I'm pretty sure this is the case. So I just want to say it. The convention store mystery, the I'm sorry, the GP mystery boosters with the secret layer cards are, uh, God damn it. The GP mystery boosters with the Magic fast. Pl- play test cards. Yeah will continue to be open through all of 2020 while supplies last. So it is a reasonable expectation that those will still be available come like October, November with the play test cards in them. Meanwhile, in March, the local store mystery boosters arrive and those are the ones with the foils. And I think we're looking at, I would imagine one distribution on those but that i don't actually know that's not that's not clear to me either i know that these boxes are supposed to be lgs only like yeah everybody's been complaining that the lgs's don't get thrown a bone this is the bone um these are supposed to be lgs only however i think you're going to be able to get access to these boosters because some of the distributors are loose in how they handle product so it will leak out and you will see boxes of these available on eBay, on card market in Europe, etc., <laughs> we'll probably have a group buy for them inside the Discord uh, if we can find them at uh, a price that makes any amount of sense. I've heard that they're actually being priced in Europe at least a few dollars cheaper than, like, basically they walked back the increase on booster bo- uh, booster box prices for this product. Now, keep in mind this is only a twenty-four pack product. But you're getting a foil in, in every pack. So that certainly matters. Because you're getting 24 fi- foils off this this super sheet. Um, which pr- I, I suspect, longer term at least, pays for the box. Because you can, you can expect that two or three of those will end up being like f- strong foil mythics. That are going to get damaged in the short term by the increase in supply. But it... And the LGSs may well have tight allocations, but might be able to order more product later this year. Like this may go on for a while. And if it does, if they, if they can get allocations every few months or so, you're going to see periods of expansion and contraction in the supply of the relevant, of the relevant foils. And there could be some interesting on ramps and exit ramps. Yeah. I mean, that's all fit. That's all. I agree with all that. Uh, Yes, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't feel like I have a lot to add there, uh, other than it's it's definitely going to have wreak havoc with some of these foils, like the Reaper Kings, and less so with plenty of others. I, I'll I'll be curious to see how how all this plays out. It, There's definitely going to be the the simplest summary is that the broader the demand profile of the card in question, 
and the lower the pre-existing supply is, the more likely that card is to restabilize at a higher price once we pass peak supply. Assuming that peak supply is four to six weeks out and that these aren't lingering in the market for many months. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. If we're looking at a March release date, then probably somewhere in late April, early June, just as people are leaving school, might be the time to try and snag these as they kind of bottom out. Well, I, but, I, I figure opening weekend, there's going to be some great deals. Like in the same well, in sure. the same way that the first weekend of a standard release tends to people underprice, race to the bottom, and and aren't really sure where they were supposed to stop. I think the same thing's going to happen here. And the question becomes if the dealers if the EV on these these boosters is really high and therefore the drafting of them is very popular and the draft format has we already know to be good because this is only one slot that's changing. People have said that this is a good set to draft. It's a good draft experience. There's going to be if they can get resupply, these drafts could be continuously popular at LGSs for say a period of three to six months or even longer um, for as long as the EV of, of cracking them is beneficial at the, in the convention version, you're almost guaranteed to make money because the trickle geographically of cards being opened all at the mythic rarity wasn't enough to dampen the prices for most of the key cards involved. So for instance, if you look on CK's buy list on card kingdoms buy list, pick a random card, tireless tracker or whatever, they pay more for the mystery booster version than they do for the original version. Mm -hmm. So we've been telling everybody that one of the key things here is to get out of a lot of those cards now before there is both convention supply and LGS supply, because that's a whole different animal than when you're just getting the city by city trickle into the marketplace that isn't floating past Card Kingdom's front door because they don't attend GPs. They will, however, have access to mystery boosters to crack, and their need for the cards within them will therefore change dramatically as of March 13th. Well, that that local store deployment in March is just going to have such an impact on all of these non foils, non foil cards. Yeah, that's 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 probably I think I would say the the biggest bullet point here for most people. So, if you want a cute little play to try to connect the dots, I like to have like moves at mtg finance actionable flow into each other one of the things you can do here buy list all the cards that are in the mystery boosters at at that have not yet caught their local reprint for on the 13th your tireless trackers and your whatevers get out of all that and then use that to buy cheap foils that come out of the lgs version if and when it becomes obvious that that's a good move yeah we we need yeah. we need some more information about how long the LGSs are going to have access to these. So I'll try to track that down for a future episode. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. Is this a one time dump? Do they have two or three releases in the pipe, or is this a at the printers through the rest of the year type of thing? Um, but given that they said the convention edition was until supplies last, this one might be the same. I would guess uh, they, they will go back to the well on this one for as long as LGSs continue to order it. 
Yeah. I, th- I think that's kind of the point of the product is that it fills the interest gap for players in between when draft sets or standard environments get boring and gives the, the LGS owner a reliable go-to for FNM. Okay, everybody's bored of Theros Draft. Fine. Next, here's the announcement on our Facebook page. We're going to do Mystery Booster Draft for such and such a price, and here's the prizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems fine. All right, so we'll follow up on that in the uh, near future. Chock-a-block show today. I'm, uh, I haven't looked at the timer, but I'm assuming we've spent easy two hours. Uh, 2.16 at the moment. Well done. Probably Perfect. chop off several minutes in editing, but still looking at two hours. All right, so let's wrap up. It's, um, it's the fastest two hours you'll hear. Uh, I am uh, I am Travis Allen on Twitter Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I am here on the podcast every week. Where can our listeners find you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. You can also follow the MTG Price Twitter, which has been resurrected from the dead, at MTG Price. Uh, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $1.50 a week, $7.99 a month, or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Boy, if you had seen the group buy we organized last week on singles, it was just a pile of cards (laughs) that buy lists were taking for double the amount we paid for them, and I just don't know why you wouldn't want to be a pro trader. It's a little too obvious. (laughs) Uh, you forgot, we, we forgot the most popular part of the show. What was your favorite card from segment two? Ah, good point. I think. Hmm. The one closest to being at a tipping point is the scrap heap scrounger foils. They're just drying up. So that's a relatively safe play. You go shallow on a a play site. You'll be fine. Um, I think that. think i'm gonna pick dig through time i think i think dig through time five to ten if the inverter deck hits the sweet spot is where i want to be it's the it's the cleanest double up in the bunch but it carries more risk um jvp and walking ballista and heliod all needs certain need certain things to come together and their total roi will be less if they if they strike so i'm gonna go with dig through time okay uh, I'm going to go with walking Blissa just because I, but that almost feels like cheating because the number of copies at $40 seems like it's very low. Um, sure. But Scott I think that and given the, are both are both at the tipping point. Yeah. Given the prices posted, that is, that is tempting. Uh, but I, the, and the gain isn't quite as strong, but like, I just don't see you getting not paid off on that. Um, anyways, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 with the number 5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Brings us to the end of episode 205. Uh, we're pretty deep here. 
So it was a good time and we'll be back to do it again next week, just in time to give you some ideas for Valentine's Day. Ah, well, here's the thing. I am in Hawaii surfing next week, so I'm not oh. clear if I'm going to be doing the show from the world from Worlds, or we might have Cliff mm-hmm. back on. So I guess we'll uh, we'll announce that in the Discord a little closer to the event. Uh, but thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.